Hello and welcome to the Aura of Greatness, episode 1.1, Ernesto Rafael Guevara de la Serna and Argentina. Che Guevara was officially born on June 14, 1928, to Ernesto Guevara Lynch and Celia de la Serna Iliosa. His full name was Ernesto Rafael Guevara de la Serna. He was born in the city of Rosario, which is the largest city in the province of Santa Fe in central Argentina. That baby would grow up to become the world-famous revolutionary, better known as Che Guevara. However, according to John Lee Anderson's biography, Che Guevara, A Revolutionary Life, Che was actually born on May 14, 1928, and his birth certificate was falsified by their family friend and doctor in order to give greater distance between his birth and the marriage of his parents. Ernesto and Celia were wed on November 10, 1927. The reason for the lie was that claiming a child was born premature at seven months was deemed more socially acceptable at the time than admitting to premarital sexual relations and conception outside of wedlock. The Guevaras had been living in the province of Missones, where Ernesto was attempting to become a yerba mate planter. That had put them far away from their families in Buenos Aires as Celia had brought Che to term. The couple then had traveled south to Rosario to give birth to the child in a more metropolitan area where the medical care was better. They waited a month to inform their family of the new addition. The story of the birth being premature had been accepted at face value and may have never been questioned if little Ernestito, as his parents referred to him as a baby, had not grown up to become a world-famous revolutionary. If the story is true, then Ernesto Rafael Guevara de la Serna is one of the few people to have both his birth certificate and death certificate falsified. I have included an image of Che's birth certificate in the post for the episode at the website, and I have uploaded the image to the Aura of Greatness's Facebook page. It is a little difficult to read, but you have to expect that from an 88-year-old document. Also impossible to read if you do not know Spanish. It should, of course, be noted that all official sources that I have seen still list Che's birth date as June 14th rather than May 14th. Even Che's younger brother, Roberto, reported that his mother told him that Che was born on the 14th of June. Any official birthday celebrations for Che still fall on the 14th of June. In fact, on what would have been his 80th birthday in 2008, his birth city of Rosario, Argentina, held a special birthday celebration for their most famous native son. Artist Andre Zanieri built a bronze statue in Che's likeness that is reported to weigh over 2 tons and stands 4 meters, or about 12 feet, high. The statue was built by Zuniri and the bronze was donated by people throughout the world. Most of the donations came in the form of keys that were melted down to take the shape of the revolutionary. Estimates state that there were more than 75,000 keys donated. The bronze statue of Che Guevara was the centerpiece of the 2008 celebration and still stands in Rosario, Argentina today. The unveiling ceremony was held on the 14th of June and was attended by his daughter, Aleda Guevara. So perhaps the story about a falsified birth record should be taken with a grain of salt. However, whether he was born on May 14th or June 14th does not materially affect our story, so I will not dwell on the subject any further. Though it should be noted that from now on, if I need to reference his birthday for any reason, I will follow the official sources and say June 14th. Before we go any further, just a note on names. One, I know that I will mispronounce some at times. If that happens, I am sorry, and please let me know so I can do my best to get it right the next time. Two, you probably just noticed that Che's name is Ernesto Guevara, and his father's name is Ernesto Guevara. That seems like it could get confusing. 
Further, because Che is a nickname in which Ernesto was given when he was an adult, it is not really appropriate to call him Che as a child, especially because for the first few years of his life he was lovingly called by the diminutive, Ernestito, by his family. If you are fans of Roman history, then you are probably familiar with the conundrum of what historians should call Augustus, Octavius, Octavian, or Augustus. As a personal solution, and for simplicity's sake, I will just be calling the younger Ernesto Guevara Che. Hopefully this will save on any confusion. So for the duration, unless otherwise stated, when I say Ernesto Guevara, I am referring to Che's father, and when I say Che, I am referring to Che, regardless of age or what he would actually have been called by those around him at the time. Hopefully that makes sense. Let me know if it does not. With the man's birth out of the way, I'm now going to take a sidestep away from our main story to give you some background information on the country of Argentina so that you can understand the social climate that our main character was born into. Argentina has a long and storied history, and to do it justice, someone would need an entire podcast series dedicated to telling the story. I instead will just be giving the broad strokes with far more focus on the history that directly relates to the 1920s. In a situation where I am only going to be giving out a summary of information, I will usually try to point you in a direction where you can receive more information in case it interests you. However, after doing a brief search, I have not found any podcasts that directly deal with Argentine history. If I have missed one, please let me know and I'll share it at a later date. Today, Argentina is the 8th largest country in the world in terms of area and is the 2nd largest in South America. It has a population of around 43 million and has the second largest economy in South America and is a member of the G15 and G20. Generally, it is considered amongst the middle powers in terms of international relations and has a human development index rating of very high. It is a country that by all measures is doing very well for itself. The Argentina of 1928, on the other hand, was in a different position. The political system had stagnated with the two parties, the radicals and the conservatives, out of touch with the public at large. Workers had few rights and their protests were suppressed by gunfire. New political ideas had arrived, but had not yet took hold. Political and social change was inevitable, but had not yet come. An environment where the winds of change was in the air was the one that Che Guevara first appeared. On July 9, 1816, the United Provinces of South America declared their independence from Spain. Today, that date is commonly referred to as the independence of Argentina, and July 9th is a public holiday in Argentina. The Declaration of Independence was the culmination of events that started in 1810 with the May Revolution that saw the first independent government in Buenos Aires take hold. The Declaration of Independence, however, did not stop the violence, and decades of violence followed. The War of Independence and bloody civil wars defined Argentina. The revolutionaries broke into two camps, the Centralists and the Federalists and they bitterly fought for control of their country. To gain control, the most powerful players became Cadillos. A Cadillo was a military landowner, akin to a leader or chief. There were military landowners who also wielded considerable political power as they had an army to back them up. Detractors often pointed to their authoritarian ruling style and said they were closer to warlords or strongmen. The term often refers to charismatic populist leaders. The Cadillos in Argentina fought against the Spanish, the French, their neighboring countries, and of course against each other to keep their independence and to try to win power for themselves. I would like to spend more time explaining the complexity of the early years for Argentine independence, but I want to stay at least somewhat on topic. The civil wars came to a head in 1852 when Justo José de Uquiza seized power for himself away from Juan Manuel de Rosas. Remember that name, Juan Manuel de Rosas, as some of his decisions while in power will affect the personal life and the trajectory of some of Che's ancestors. 
After Urquiza's army proved to be the strongest in the country, he was able to seize absolute power, and he was able to force the issue of national organization to be the country's top priority. He called for a constitutional congress in May of 1853. The Constitution of 1853 became the basis for the government, and though there have been reforms to the original Constitution in 1860, 1866, 1898, 1949, 1957, and the current version was reformed in 1994. The Constitution of 1853 was the foundation throughout and is still the foundation to the present form. With the new Constitution in hand, Justo José de Urquiza was inaugurated as the third president of Argentina and would go on to serve in that role until March 4, 1860. During his time in office, Argentine independence was finally recognized by Spain on April 29, 1857, though many other prominent countries had recognized their independence far earlier. Buenos Aires had chosen to secede from the Union rather than accept the Constitution of 1853, where Urquiza defeated the state of Buenos Aires at the Battle of Cepeda in 1859 and forced them to rejoin. After the reunification, the Confederation of Argentina would remain whole, but a power struggle would lead to Urquiza's retirement and eventual assassination. After Urquiza was defeated and out of office, Argentina would be reformed as a federation, and Buenos Aires would become the capital city. While the man that oversaw the creation of the Argentine constitution would see a bloody end, the work he did led to prosperity. Relative peace and stability followed the change to federation, and by 1880 the federal government was secure enough to begin emphasizing liberal economic policies, which led to a massive wave of immigration. The large amount of immigration, mainly from Europe, led to a drastic change in Argentine society and helped bring about a booming economy. By 1908, Argentina was the seventh wealthiest nation in the world, Argentina grew to become one of the five largest exporters in the world, with its main exports being wheat and frozen beef. Literacy grew to as high as 65%, but they were slow to meet their goals of industrialization. In 1916, radical civic union party leader Hippolito Yurangin would be elected president and would try to enact social and economic reforms while providing assistance to family farmers and small businesses. Argentina elected to remain neutral during World War I, and everything seemed to be headed in the right direction until an economic crisis, influenced by the Great Depression, spread throughout the country. In 1928, Che Guevara was born right on the eve of the Great Depression and the major changes that would come along with it. The economy of Argentina, much like everywhere else in the world, began to slump in 1929. On September 6, 1930, General José Félix Uriburu led forces loyal to him into the capital of Argentina to overthrow the government. The 1930 Argentine coup d'etat would put Uriburu in charge of Argentina without a single casualty. In the aftermath of the coup, Uriburu would ban political parties, suspend elections, and suspend the constitution of 1853. His plan was to reorganize Argentina along fascist lines. The 1930 coup was the first in Argentine modern history and would begin the period we now refer to as the infamous decade. Although Argentina would remain amongst the 15 richest countries in the world, the coup marks the start of a steady economic and social decline that would push the country back into underdevelopment. The infamous decade would last until the coup of 1943, but we will wait to get into that coup and the rise of Juan Domingo Perón until later. The infamous decade is the backdrop of our early history of Che Guevara, a time of social unrest, economic decline, and hard living. Now that we are caught up with the political history of Argentina, we will take a moment to give you a brief family history. Che's father was Ernesto Guevara Lynch. Ernesto was of Spanish-Irish descent and was the great-great-great-grandson of Patrick Lynch. 
Patrick was born in 1715 in Ireland, but he moved to the government of the Rio de la Plata, where he became a significant landowner. The Lynches had been a prominent tribe in Galway, but had begun leaving Ireland after they were defeated first by Oliver Cromwell and later by William of Orange. Patrick first went to Spain before emigrating to the Rio de la Plata, where he served as a royal representative and captain of the militia. He married a wealthy heiress, and together they passed on substantial land holdings to their eldest son, Justo Pastor Lynch. Justo managed the family land well, worked for the government, and further increased the Lynch family property when he married the Spanish heiress Anna Bernardo Rue. Their eldest son, Patricio Lynch, set up a shipping company. There is a fun story that involves one of his ships, the Heronia, an American colonel, and the Falkland Islands, but I won't get into that at this time. Patricio married a descendant of the Spanish conquistador Domingo Martinez. Patricio and Maria then had several children, but the next in our line of descendants was Francisco Lynch. Daniel James's Che Guevara, a biography, indicates that Francisco Lynch fought in the Argentine War of Independence, the Civil War that followed, and the Cisplatine War. He eventually went on to reach the rank of colonel. Unfortunately for Francisco, he ended up on the wrong side of the Civil War when he made an enemy of the future supreme head of the Confederacy, Juan Manuel de Rosas. At just 13 years of age, Rosas served with a force that was resisting the British invasion of the River Plate. Rosas's job was to distribute ammunition to the troops. The British invasion was repulsed, and when they returned a year later, Rosas joined a cavalry militia, but did not see any active duty. After the second invasion was repulsed, the Rosas family moved to their family ranch where Rosas would develop a dislike of the city in favor of the countryside. Rosas grew friendly with the gachos of the countryside in the process of learning about ranch life. The gachos comprised the majority of the Argentine population and for the most part were illiterate and considered untrustworthy by the landed elite. Rosas instead gained their trust by paying them well, riding with them, along with his willingness to joke around with them but he of course never let the gauchos forget who the boss was. He took control of his family's estate and then married in 1853. He managed his estates well and he grew his wealth and property steadily. In 1816, Argentina declared their independence and Rosas was among the leaders of the conflict. Over the course of the independence and the civil war that followed, Rosas earned more land through his loyalty and bravery on the battlefield. Victory after victory gave the man credence as a military leader, and his understanding and friendliness of the gachos gained him troops that were loyal only to him. Eventually he rose to the rank of Brigadier General, the highest rank in the Argentine army. He became the leader of the Federalist Party. He used his money, prestige, and undying loyalty of his men to force his way into the role of Governor of Buenos Aires in December 1829. His first term in office was only three years long, but sought to more stabilization through what Rosas referred to as his benevolent dictatorship. Rosas did not run for a second term as the House of Representatives wanted to work toward a constitutional government and Rosas could not imagine ruling without absolute power. He left the capital, but it was not long after he left that infighting began anew. Without a strong dictatorial presence, nothing could get done. A group of Rosas supporters staged a coup and then sent word to Rosas that they wanted him back as the governor and that they would give him dictatorial powers once again. Rosas returned to the office of the governor of Buenos Aires in March 1835. By 1848, he had extended his influence to the other provinces of Argentina and had forcefully installed himself as the leader of the whole of Argentina. During his rise from governor of Buenos Aires to the supreme head of the Confederacy, Rosas was not afraid to resort to state terrorism and political assassination to silence his enemies or to rid himself of a roadblock. This is sadly how Che's great-great-grandfather, Colonel Francisco Lynch, met his end. 
Francisco Lynch lost both his life and his family's significant land holding at the hands of Juan Rosas's parapolice, the Mazorca. Modern estimates report that around 2,000 people were killed by the Mazorca from 1829 to 1852, leaving some historians to describe the Mazorca as a terrorist gang rather than parapolice. In some ways, the Mazorca are reminiscent of Hitler's SS, though obviously on a much smaller scale. By the time he died, Colonel Francisco Lynch had already been married and had a son who he had also named Francisco Lynch. The younger Francisco Lynch had been able to flee across the Andes and hide out in Chile so that he did not meet the same fate as his father. The Lynches, however, were not the only Argentines that had sought refuge in the safety of the neighboring Chile. The Guevara family had also become wealthy landowners, but I was unable to find the same level of detail in the Guevara family line as I was able to with the Lynch line so we will not backtrack to follow their line of succession. The important thing to note is that the Guevaras had become wealthy landowners in the Mendoza area, but had also found themselves on the wrong side of the Civil War, and had their property confiscated by those loyal to Rosas. The Guevara brothers, Juan Antonio and Jose Gabriel Guevara, also fled to the safety of Chile. Once in Chile, there was not much to do but to talk about the atrocities performed by Rosas and drink. That was, there was not much to do, until a man rode into town in 1848 with the news that gold had been found in California. Riches and adventures waited just around the corner. Francisco Lynch and the two Guevara brothers found the idea of adventure to be impossible to resist. They were already landless and penniless, so they had nothing to lose. They headed out west, well, really mostly north for them, to seek their fortune as 49ers in the California gold rush. The Guevara brothers sailed up to San Francisco to buy supplies and then headed the rest of the way to Sacramento and bought a plot of land. The two brothers worked day in and day out, but never found any gold in their plot of land. They slugged their way back to San Francisco, broke and defeated. Francisco Lynch, on the other hand, found success in the city of San Francisco. Upon reaching San Francisco, Francisco Lynch decided rather than chasing gold, he would let the gold come to him. He set up shops and saloons in the boom town and prospered nicely. Guevara brothers met back up with Lynch in San Francisco, and Lynch helped them get back on their feet. But it was a Spaniard by the name of Guillermo Castro who offered the brothers jobs on his farm. The elder brother, Juan Antonio, subsequently fell in love with and married his boss's daughter. The two had a son by the name of Roberto Guevara Castro while they were still in California. In 1852, Juan Manuel de Rosas finally was met with defeat and fled Argentina to live the rest of his life as an exile. The news that Rosas had been deposed reached California and the Guevaras realized that they were free to return home. The two brothers packed their things and moved with their new family back to Argentina. The new leader of Argentina, Urquiza, who we discussed earlier, issued a general amnesty to the enemies of Rosas. The general amnesty meant that Juan Antonio Guevara was able to reclaim his family's land, regain his Argentine citizen, and obtain citizenship for his California-born son. Francisco Lynch, however, stayed in California for a few more years. His businesses were a success, and he wanted to make money while there was money to be made. In the end, Francisco would return to Argentina a quarter century after he left, and once back, he would be reunited with the Guevaras. Francisco Lynch had grown wealthy with his businesses in California. He had also wed, and when he returned to Argentina, he brought with him a bride and a daughter. His daughter was named Ana Isabel Lynch Ortiz. When the Lynches returned to Argentina, Francisco renewed his friendship with the Guevaras. Juan Antonio's son, Roberto Guevara Castro, was 26 by the time Francisco and his family visited the Guevara family ranch. Roberto met and quickly fell in love with Anna Lynch and was soon courting her affection. The two would eventually be married and have a total of 12 children. 
Their sixth child, Ernesto Guevara Lynch, would go on to father the revolutionary Che Guevara. Before we continue, I just have a couple notes. One, there are sources that question the amount of Irish descent that Che Guevara actually has. As I explained, the Lynches moved from Ireland to Argentina in the 1700s. I've seen it suggested that people have attached the Irish tag to Che as a way to discredit the Irish as rash revolutionaries and communists. This particular site made it clear that even though the Lynches lived in Ireland, they were actually of Norman stock and stuck strictly to other Norman families and their marriage ties. That site further stated that Lynch left because of the Irish potato famine, whereas the potato famine happened from 1845 to 1852. You can rest assured that that fact is false. So I did not look too hard into the conspiracy theories of Che not being Irish, as I don't really believe it materially affects our story. I have described the important pieces of Che's paternal ancestry to you, but I wanted to let you know that the debate exists and the bipolar opinions about Che's legacy even make people angry about where they say he's from. Two, and of more significance to me, is one bit of information that I'm having trouble confirming. In the process of my research, I like to confirm things in multiple sources before including them in this podcast. As such, I began researching Che's family tree in addition to just reading about his ancestors in the biographies. In doing so, I chose the website genie.com, G-E-N-I.com. It is a genealogy research website, similar to Ancestry.com, but this one is free and has a pretty nice search feature for research purposes. I'll post a link to Che's profile on the Facebook page in case you want to check it out. In my research for today's episode, I spent a lot of time mapping out Che's family tree, specifically his paternal family tree, as I wanted to go into detail so that you could compare the personal story of Che's ancestors to the summary of Argentine historical events in order to get a clear picture of what Argentina was like leading up to the birth of Ernesto Che Guevara. The only real disparity that I found between my source material and the family tree is that there is only one Francisco Lynch that appears on it. As you remember, Colonel Francisco Lynch was the son of Patricio Lynch and was killed by Rosas. Francisco's son, Francisco, then went to San Francisco and became wealthy in California. The problem that I have found is that the older Francisco is not listed on the family tree that the website has posted. I figured at first it was just a mistake, but then I looked at the dates of birth and dates of events that my sources indicate people were involved in. According to the website, Patricio Lynch was born in 1789, which would make him just 27 at the time of independence on July 9, 1816. I'm not sure how a man who was just 27 at the time could also have a son who was actively serving in the military during the War of Independence, the way that my source material indicate that Colonel Francisco Lynch did. Genie.com further lists Francisco Lynch's date of birth as March 30, 1817. Now that would fit with the age of the younger Francisco who eventually moved to California during the gold rush, but not with that of Colonel Francisco Lynch. As it stands right now, I have not been able to find a satisfactory answer to this conundrum. Either Genie.com just screwed up the dates of birth and the lineage, meaning that there should be one more Francisco Lynch on the family tree, or if the biographers I am pulling my information from were duped by a good story of the revolutionary's great-great-grandfather being killed in the Rosas tyranny after fighting against oppression to help gain independence as anyone's guess. I further checked the information on another genealogy website, genealogiafamiliar.net, and found the same family tree as genie.com. With that information, it seems likely to me that Che had a relative that fought in the Argentine War of Independence, was later killed by Rosas, but it seems unlikely that same man was his direct ancestor. It does not change that the Lynches became enemies of Rosas and had to flee the country, but just who the casualties of the event was. I just wanted to make sure that you were aware that there is a possible discrepancy before we moved on to Che's maternal side of the family tree. 
Che's mother was named Celia de Lacerna. She was of Spanish noble lineage. One ancestor had been the Spanish royal viceroy of colonial Peru. Jose de Lacerna was the last Spanish viceroy to exercise effective power in Peru. Rather ironically, given that his family would one day produce a famous revolutionary, Viceroy de la Serna fought against Simon Bolivar and José de San Martín while they struggled for independence. I will not be going further into the War of Independence or Viceroy de la Serna, but if you'd like to know more, I would highly suggest you check out Mike Duncan's Revolutions podcast. The fifth and the presently ongoing series of that podcast deals with Simon Bolivar and the quest for South American independence. His main focus will not be the Argentine area specifically, but it gives an excellent insight into the area, and I'm sure he will be covering more about Viceroy de la Serna's role in the events. Celia's grandfather had been a wealthy landowner. Her father, Juan Martín de la Serna, was a renowned law professor, congressman, and ambassador. Juan and his wife, Edelmira, both passed away while Celia was still a minor. She and her six brothers and sisters were left in the care of her aunt until they reached the legal age of 21 at which time each of them would be due a comfortable inheritance as the family had conserved all of their primary revenue-producing estates. As Celia grew older, she represented a perfect sign of the changing times. She was an early feminist and one with money, so she took the opportunity to engage in activities that many in society would count as scandalous for the times. She cut her hair short, signed her own checks, and drove her own car, as just a few examples. She was a pretty young woman, and as such was very sought after by the other young aristocrats of Buenos Aires but she spurned their courtship as she sought to find a kindred soul that would not attempt to cage her spirit. Celia believed she had met just that kindred spirit when in 1927 she first met Ernesto Guevara Lynch. Ernesto's family was still on the wealthier side, but the loss of land during Rosas's turn, combined with Ernesto being the sixth of eleven children, meant that they were not as well off as earlier generations and not nearly as wealthy as his future bride. Ernesto's father, Roberto, Though rich enough to afford private school, chose to send his children to a state-run school, telling them, The only aristocracy I believe in is the aristocracy of talent. The sentiment would stick with Ernesto, and he would eventually share the same sentiment with his own children. Ernesto graduated and went to college to study architecture and engineering, but dropped out before graduating. Studying bored the young Ernesto, and he would later state to a friend, I'd rather shoot myself than sit behind a desk. Ernesto decided instead to try his hand at investing in yacht building. He worked as an overseer for a time with a wealthy relative, but the business would not actively hold his attention for long. It was at that time in his life that he did meet someone that could hold his attention. Celia had just recently graduated from Sacre Cour, an exclusive Buenos Aires Catholic girls' school, and was ready for an adventure herself. Ernesto and Celia immediately clicked and fell in love. They wanted to run away together, but there was one problem. Celia was not yet 21, and therefore by Argentine law, not yet a legal adult. As such, she would need the permission of her family, and they did not approve. The de la Cernas thought that Ernesto was just a treasure hunter after the family name and fortune. They did not want him to get a hold of Celia's share of the inheritance. Celia and Ernesto would not be dissuaded, though. They came up with a plan to stage an elopement in order to force her family to yield their consent. The plan worked, and on November 10, 1927, the two were wed. Part of the agreement stipulated that she would only receive part of her inheritance immediately, and the rest would wait until she reached the age of 21. The two then embarked on their adventure and left Buenos Aires for the rural province of Misones. It is the story of the staged elopement and immediate withdrawal from the city after the marriage that bolsters the story of the premarital conception of Che Guevara. The newlyweds relocated in Badaba, 500 acres of jungle along the banks of the Rio Piranha, 
The province of Missones was known for its yerba mate, and the plan was to use the land as a yerba mate plantation. Yerba mate is a Paraguayan tea and is the national drink of Argentina, Paraguay, Brazil, and Uruguay. The province of Missones had fallen into neglect since the Jesuit missionaries who had built the first European settlements of the area had been expelled from the area in 1767. After World War I, though, the area had begun a revival and demand for yerba mate was on the rise. Yerba mate was colloquially known as green gold, and Ernesto Guevara saw his opportunity in the region as similar to his grandparents in their gold rush. He saw his opportunity to regain the family fortune, but unfortunately for him, the family was not destined to live on the plantation for long. The first few months in Missones were like an extended honeymoon for the new couple. They built and then lived in a large house with an outdoor kitchen. Their rustic home by the river was described as a mansion by a local girl. They spent their time enjoying each other's company while they settled and explored the area. Together they sport fished, boated, and rode horses. Celia, though, was pregnant, and within a few short months the two chose to seek comfort and better access to medical professionals. They set out downriver until they arrived in Rosario. Rosario was the largest city in the region, was much closer than Buenos Aires, and offered comparable medical attention as the capital city. Plus, if the story of Che being born in May are true, then Rosario also offered some camouflage from their family in Buenos Aires. While in Rosario, Celia came to term and went into labor. At 3 o'clock in the morning on the 14th of June in the year 1928, Ernesto Rafael Guevara de la Serna was born. While on the subject of names, I should note that it is traditional in Spanish-speaking cultures to name the first child after the father, as can be seen in Che's case, as he shares his father's name. It is further customary to add the mother's paternal family name and combine it with the father's paternal family name to combine together so that the newborn baby has two family names. The first listed family name is generally the father's paternal family name and the second is generally the maternal family name. You combine these together so that the primary last name is, is that of the father's. As an example, Che's father, Ernesto Guevara Lynch, received Guevara from his father and Lynch from his mother. But if you were to formally address him, the correct way would be Mr. Guevara. In the same way, if you'd refer to the family collectively, you would say the Guevaras, which is why Ernesto Guevara Lynch and Celia de la Serna y Liosa gave the name Ernesto Guevara de la Serna to their son. With the birth of Che, and given the length of the episode already, we'll be ending this installment of the Aura of Greatness podcast. I know that you may have been expecting a little more Che in this episode, but I think that it is important to understand the background of the area and the family in order to properly understand the person. In the course of this podcast, I will occasionally delve a bit deeper into other parts of the story in order to flesh out the situation more fully. The lens of the story, as well as the main character of the first series, will always remain Che Guevara, but I do plan to use that lens to fully explore our story. Do not worry, though. I will get deeper into the story of Che Guevara on the next episode, as well as in future episodes. The goal of this episode was to set the scene, and from here on out, we will be exploring how Che burst onto it. Thank you for tuning in. Please subscribe using your preferred podcast app, whether that be iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or otherwise. Also, you can like the show on Facebook and give the show a rating in order to show support. I will be periodically posting pictures, updates, and other interesting information on the Facebook page, so it is worth the like. As for the non-Facebook users, you can find the website at auraofgreatnesspodcast.blogspot.com or you can email me at aogp at gmail.com. Finally, if you feel so inclined, you can follow my personal Twitter page, at TravStory, though I should state that on Twitter, I post more than just about the show. Okay, once again, thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next time.